You know, uh, we're starting a new series. We're calling it Toxic Relationships. And uh, we're going to look at four relationships we all have, and we're going to kind of examine them to say, is this a healthy relationship or not? And what part do I play in the health or the toxic, toxicity? I still haven't figured out how to say that. Don't come up to me afterwards and try to help me because it won't. It's, it's all up here. Uh, but the verse we're using for this series as a theme verse is Romans chapter 12, verse 17. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live at peace with everyone. And have you found out that it's not possible with some people to live at peace? Some of you are a middle child and you think you can live at peace with everybody. So it's like, I can figure this out. But there's some people that will keep you at arm's length and they will be belligerent and they are difficult people. And they may be family members, they may be parents, they may be children. And it's hard to live at peace with them. So what do you do? That's kind of what we want to look at. There's four friendships or four uh, relationships we want to look at. The first one is friendship. The, first, the second one is families. The third one is work. And then the last one is marriage. And each one of these uh, has the, the opportunity to become toxic, unhealthy, if we're not careful. And uh, we have a responsibility to try to make those relationships the best that they can be. Um, the interesting thing is God created us for friendships. Um, it's interesting. If you go back to the, the, you know, go back to Genesis chapter two, it's very interesting. Over, over and over when God is creating the, the, the heavens and the earth as it is, and God saw all that he made and it was good. God saw all that he made and it was good. And then he comes to man and man's all alone in the garden. He says, God saw this and he says, this is not good. <laughs> so God creates a friend, uh, you know, a horizontal relationship, a friend. And it doesn't have to be a marriage partner. It's just God created us for community. We need friends. And some of you are lonely, and you say, well, what's wrong with me because I'm lonely? Nothing's wrong with you because you're lonely. God created you to be a social person. So if you're lonely, you're just, you're just showing your God stamp image that God created you to be in part of community. Now, that's different for extroverts and introverts. You know, some of us want to have a lot of friends. Some of us only want to have a few friends and close ones. And, but the bottom line is this. We, you know, friendship is a part of life. Now, some of you have bad friends. You have bad friends. Some of you are a bad friend. <laughs> and we need to talk about both of those because we're not just here to say, okay, where do I find a good friend? We're here to say, how can I become a good friend, right? How can I do that? So uh, we're going we're gonna to look at a couple of verses. Uh, bad company, though, the Bible has a lot to say about bad company. In 1 Corinthians 15, it says this, Don't be fooled by those who say such things, for a bad company corrupts good character. Think carefully about what is right and stop sinning, for to your shame I say that some of you don't know God at all. And basically, bad company will corrupt you if you're not careful. And the Proverbs has a lot to say about friends. There's a couple of different kinds of friends that we can have. Maybe as I describe them, you'll say, yeah, that's John or Mary or Frank or whatever. Um, maybe that's you, though, right? Um, the first one is the, pe- the pessimistic ones. They're the ones who, and, and when you're with them, they drag you down. They're judgmental, critical of others. They love the gossip. They uh, constantly complain. Nothing is ever good enough for them. 
Um, they have a problem with a lot of people. In fact, you've not really heard them talk about anyone very positively. And let me just throw this in there. So maybe you have this negative person in your life or maybe a bunch of negative people and you get around them and you feel like you've just been drained, right? Like a vampire. You know, they just stick their fangs in and the next thing you know, you're ugh, you know. And you feel down and discouraged. Let me just say this too. Um, this doesn't really have to do with friendship, but it does have to do with input because I think that's part of what we have to kind of talk about is if you're listening to a lot of talk radio or you're watching certain networks on TV and you are just getting angrier and angrier and more and more frustrated, here's what you need to do. Turn it off. Okay? Turn it off. Turn it off. When people start saying, oh, they're the worst person since Hitler and all that, probably an indication you should turn it off. I'm not naming names. My point is, I've met people who are really angry and really upset. And I said, do you listen to talk radio? Yeah, all the time. And I watch certain channels. It doesn't matter whether it's right or left. It doesn't matter. There's a lot of anger out there, right? By the way, the weather people, have you noticed they can't, if it's a sunny day, they say, well, it's a sunny day, but it might get bad, right? Or this is going to be a bad storm, and they have kind of a glee in their eye, like this is the greatest thing ever. <laughs> I don't want to, you know, the only weather person I want to hear from is the guy in the monotone on the emergency radio, because when he says, yeah, and, and notice it's always monotone, Severe storm coming your way, you know, take cover. And it's just, it just never changes. His tone is just flat and monotone, right? I listen to that guy or that woman. I don't listen to the, the weather people because they're like, they'll wreck a perfect day. My point is, you have pessimistic, you have negative people in your life. And you have to say, okay, is this healthy being in this relationship? Or maybe I'm the negative one, right? Secondly, you have controlling people. They're overbearing, they're demanding, they're manipulative. You say, you're describing my kids. Well, I might be, I don't know. They might even be abusive. Uh, They often use fear to intimidate you. Sometimes they're more subtle and they'll use guilt and you say, well, I have to do this because if I don't, it's going to create a big problem. And some of you are living in that situation right now. You're living in a relationship or you have a friendship where you can't really speak your mind. You really can't say what you really think because it's not safe. It just creates tension. It creates an argument. You can't do that. Well, that's a problem. And you have to say, well, what am I going to do about that? How am I going to make that better? Uh, there's corrupting people. And it may be a boyfriend or a girlfriend. They may be your party buddies. Uh, you may be a leader and you're the person. You make your own decisions. And when somebody says to go do, you, to do something stupid, you go, no, that's stupid. I'm not going to do that. Maybe you are not, though. Maybe you're a follower. When somebody says, let's go do something stupid, you go, yeah, I'm in, right? And some of you have kids like that, right? And you pray. You, especially when they get in the teenage years, you pray. Pray that they get some smart friends, some good friends, because when they get with these stupid idiot kids, friends of theirs, they'll do stupid things because my kid's a follower, and when they get in this crowd, they turn into a different person, right? Well, we grow up, and we're still the same person a lot of times. Proverbs has a ton to say about that. Notice the, the verse, uh, Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20. Walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and get into trouble. 
You can't say it more succinct than that, right? Choose your friends wisely. And sometimes your kids don't want to hear that, but uh, it's very important. Now, if you're experiencing any one of these types of uh, negative or controlling or corrupting relationships, the question is, how do you get out of that? How do you reboot your friendships? Well, you reboot your friendships by setting boundaries. Now, we're going to jump into the scripture here in a minute, but let me talk to a little bit about boundaries. There's a few boundaries that you just, maybe you just never set or you should set. And you need to say thus far and no further. This is the sandbox we play in. And as long as you follow the rules of the sandbox, we'll be in good shape. But if you step out or do things that we didn't agree upon, we need to talk about it. For instance, uh, you may need to say to your friend, don't go there. Or you, you, you say to them, I'm not going to go there with you. Now, where there is, is it could be interpreted in a multiple of ways. If you are doing something that's not helpful, that pulls me down rather than lifting me up, I'm not going to judge you, but I'm not going to do that with you. I'm not going to go there with you. I'm not going to be that person with you, right? Um, you, must, you need to draw healthy boundaries or you're going to go, if you go with the flow, you're going to become all... The, see, the problem is if you're with a negative person, you say, you know what, I'm not going to go there with you. I'm not going to do that with you. And, and you, if you go there, you're not going to become the person God designed you to be. God designed each and every one of us to be our own unique person. And He doesn't want you to, uh, to allow yourself to be directed and controlled by someone else. Uh, you need to step out of the pack and follow him. So set healthy boundaries for your behavior and, and God will honor that boundary. Secondly, consider how you will talk and what you will hear. A friend loves, maybe you have a friend who loves to gossip. They love to talk about people behind their back. They like to knock people down because they feel better about themselves. And maybe you, you get involved in that. And, you know, I found there's two things. One is you can participate and you can join them. And this is true in the workplace, too, a lot of ways, where, you know, they could talk down the boss or talk down, you know, a coworker or whatever. And, and I found that sometimes the best thing, to, one of my jobs, it just, my break was in a lunchroom and it just turned into this whole thing. And I just said, I, I'm getting out of here. I just, just, this is pulling me down. And I just walked out and I just said, I'm, I don't want to, I didn't say it public. I didn't say, I'm not going to stay here with you people. I just kind of went out. I just said, you know, this is not good for my ears. This is not helpful. This is, there, there needs, so sometimes you need to draw a line and say, here's the boundary for the area for, my, for where my tongue will go and where my ears will go. So put some boundaries down. Because what we, here, one of our biggest problems, we don't have boundaries for our ears. We don't have a boundary for our tongue. And we just, uh, we just kind of meander around in these bad pools that are toxic. And we wonder why we become a little toxic. Here's the third thing. Determine and enforce healthy boundaries. If somebody continues to tear you down, if they fail to treat you with dignity and respect, you need to set some boundaries. By the way, let me just say this to you parents. I have been in situations where parents, uh, you, I've, I've seen children talk to their parents, and it's like, you really just said that to your mom, to your dad? Now, what you need to do, and, and Dad, here's what you need to do, and I've had to do it a couple of times in my family. Um, when I've seen my bo- one of my boys talking disrespectfully to their mother, I will pull them aside and I will say, that's not, that's not cool and that's not acceptable. You don't talk to my wife. You don't talk to your mother that way. That's not going to happen again. Are we agreed? You have to set a boundary and say, that's not going to happen. And, you know, you need to do that. By the way, 
One of the things that's very interesting, your mouth is, is a, a kind of a reflection of where, how you view another person. And um, it's very sad for me to see uh, when I'm out, just out and I, I see a couple and I see the husband talking the wife down or the wife talking the husband down, uh, you know, talking as though they're a baboon a buffoon, or they're, they're an idiot and, uh, or she's, you know, whatever. Or guys, when they're away from their wives and they're in a sporting event or some other event, talk about other women and body parts and different things like that. And, and there's a point where you go, you know, it's interesting. There was a study done in a, a, a university uh, in Washington, and they basically said the number one sign that a relationship, that a marriage relationship is, is destined to fail, and it's almost like 90, 95%, is when one, one person, either the husband or wife, shows contempt for the other. What do you see on TV all the time? You see the wife making fun of the husband, the butt of the jokes, or the, 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 the husband making fun of the wife. And back and forth. And, and so now we've created a toxic environment for the children who have watched how does a husband treat a wife, right? So this is all what we have to set boundaries on and say, you know, this is not acceptable. Um, you need to say a boundary like I'm not going to let you continue to talk with, to me like that. It's not okay for you to treat me that way. Um, so here's the next step. Take one of your relationships that maybe isn't good and say, can I stay in this relationship? Can I become a better person in this relationship? Can I grow through it? Can the other person grow? Do we have the kind of relationship that we can take it to a better level? Or do I need to just walk away from this relationship because it's kind of toxic? So that, that's the first thing. So the question that we want to spend the most of our time is this. What are the key characteristics of a true friend? Because after all, I said, yeah, so most of us would say, well, I want to find a true friend, a good friend, a, a thoughtful, loving, considerate friend. And certainly we all want to do that. and We all should seek to do that. But here's, a, here's another thing. We need to be a good friend. So how do we become a good friend? That's what I want to spend the rest of our time. Because if we understand what a good friend is, then we'll not only we'll understand what we're supposed, how we're supposed to be, but we'll understand what we're looking for in a good friend. All right. And if we do that, then our friendships will become healthier. We'll set some boundaries and we'll, we'll go in a good place. So we're going to be in first Samuel chapter 18. This is on page 225 of the chair Bible. 225 of the chair Bible. It's uh, 1 Samuel 18. I'm going to read three different chat portions because the, 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 the account that I'm going to read is the account between David and Jonathan. And Saul is uh, uh, Jonathan's father, and he's the king. And David is going to become the next king. Uh, but Jonathan is the son of the king. And Jonathan and David have this really close relationship, and it obviously causes a tremendous amount of conflict in Jonathan's life. And we're going to talk about that. So 1 Samuel chapter uh, 18, I'm going to read the first four verses, then I'm going to jump to chapter 19, but I'll let you know when I jump and where I'm going to, so you can follow me. I'm trying to summarize because we don't have time to go through these, uh, take the time to go through those. 1 Samuel 18, verse 1. After David had finished talking with Saul, he met Jonathan, the king's son. There was an immediate bond between them, for Jonathan loved David. Uh, from that day on, Saul kept David with him and wouldn't let him return home. And Jonathan made a solemn pact with David because he loved him as he loved himself. Jonathan sealed the pact by taking his robe and giving it to David, together with his tunic, sword, bow, and belt. Now I'm jumping down to verse nine, chapter 19, verse 4. Chapter 19, verse 4. 
The next morning, Jonathan spoke with his father about David, saying many good things about him. The king must not sin against his servant David, Jonathan said. He's done nothing to harm you. He's always helped you in any way he could. Have you forgotten the time he risked his life to kill the Philistine giant and how the Lord brought a great victory to all Israel as a result? You were certainly happy about it then. Why should you murder an innocent man like David? There's no reason for it at all. I'll jump down to chapter 20, verse 40. Chapter 20, verse 40. Then Jonathan gave his bow and arrows to the boy and told him to take them back to town. As soon as the boy was gone, David came out where he had been hiding near the stone pile. He was hiding from Saul. Then David bowed three times to Jonathan with his face to the ground. Both of them were in tears as they embraced each other and said goodbye, especially David. At last, Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, for we have sworn loyalty to each other in the Lord's name. The Lord is the witness of a bond between us and our children forever. Then David left and Jonathan returned to the town. There's three things we want to draw from this relationship that Jonathan had with not only his father, but mainly with David. The first one is um, there's different. There's two really two basic types of relationships that we have with people. So uh, if you have a favorite restaurant or a favorite favorite store, you go there because either they have the product that you want, they have the product, and you know they have good prices, they have good customer service, the food is good, whatever. But you 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 generally generally patronize that restaurant or that business because of what they give you. So it's you have a consumer relationship. You have basically said because you're providing me with exactly what I want and a price I want, and you have give me give me good service, I'm going to continue to come back. So some of you have favorite restaurants, some of you have favorite stores you go to. That's just a consumer mentality. Now, if something changes in that relationship, they raise their prices, this, the service gets a little shoddy, the food's not quite as good, maybe ownership changes, I don't know what happens. But, you know, you know it's just not what it was. And so all of a sudden it come, becomes, becomes a, enough of a thing that you go, you know, I'm going to go somewhere else. I'm going to take my money, I'm going to find another store, another restaurant, and I'm going to begin a new relationship uh, with another store, a new thing. Now, that's our consumer mentality. That's very strong in our American pop culture, right? But here's what's gone on. That's come into relationships now. So now we come into a relationship. And by the way, that consumer-driven thing, it's all about me. It's all about me getting the product, me getting the meal, me getting the food, whatever is best for me. It all revolves around what's best for me. So now this has come into relationships where we've said, um, I'm in this for me. Uh, you're my friend as long as you do this, is provide for this, are good here, and do this. And, and, you know, and I'll give you some things. You know, I mean, you know, obviously in a consumer there's an exchange. You know, I give you my money and you give me your product, right? And so in a friendship the same thing is true. There's a give and take. But essentially it's about me. And as long as you're fulfilling my needs, I, and you know, I'm, I'm kind of doing my part, whatever I think that ought to be, then we have a friendship, and it's a, it's a consumer one. Now, many marriages are that way right now. 
Basically, it's, it, it's designed the way the marriage is, is I'm here because as long as you do this, as long as you, uh, you know, fill in whatever the blank is. When you stop doing that, though, I'm out of here and I'm going to move into a new relationship with a new person, a new partner, and, and now things have changed. Many of our friendships, many of our relationships have become consumer relationships. But there's another relationship that's talked about in the Bible. It's called a covenant relationship. A covenant relationship is different. Covenant relationship is a relationship that God has with us. It basically says, I choose you. I love you. And you owe me nothing. You could pay me nothing. I'm not in it for anything that I'm going to get out of this. And when you have a covenant relationship, and basically marriages are supposed to be covenant relationships. When a pastor stands, when two couple, when a couple stands before their friends and their family and before God, they say, the pastor basically says, will you take this woman in sickness and in health, for better or for worse, you know, till as long as you shall live. And what do they say? They say, I will. Well, what is that? That's a covenant. It doesn't, it basically, they're saying it doesn't matter if things change. You're committed here. You're committed here, right? It's a covenant relationship. And so friendships, uh, they can be covenant relationships. And when, a, when it's a covenant relationship, it's not about what I'm getting. It's what about what I'm bringing. In other words, I'm, ha- I'm, I'm going to be your friend through thick and thin, through good and bad, through up and down. I'm there for you. I'm committed to you. This is a relationship that Jonathan had with David. Basically, Jonathan was saying, David... I'm going to be your friend, even if it hurts me. And it did. It actually got him killed. <laughs> you know, it ultimately ended in his death. So there's a big difference between a consumer relationship and a covenant relationship. So how many of your relationships are consumer-based? And do you have a covenant-based relationship with anyone? Um, let's talk more about that. The Bible says this. The Bible says a friend sticks closer than a brother. And I'm finding that more and more relationships of our relationships are becoming consumer relationships. Uh, marriages are becoming more consumer-based. You do this for me, and I'll do this for you. If you don't fulfill your part, I'm out of here. I'll find somebody else to do business with. A covenant relationship, you are a friend whether your needs are being met or not. Think about that. What did Jonathan get out of his relationship with David? And remember, Jonathan was next in line to the throne. He was giving his throne up, basically. He got nothing. Ultimately, his friendship with David, as I said, led to his his death. So that's the first thing to think about of a true friend. A true friend basically says, I'm not in this for what I'm going to get from you. I'm in this for what I can bring to the relationship. I'm, I'm here thick and thin, good and bad, up and down. I'm just there, right? Secondly, uh, good friends or good friendships have an open book policy. John, it says here that Jonathan and David were one in spirit. Uh, friends really open up and they let you to see, see in your life. They don't put on a front. There is no veneer. And, and here's a few things that happen in these true, deeper relationships. They uh, share their deepest uh, feelings. You say, well, here's David and Jonathan, true grown men that are weeping and hugging and, and uh, you know, just, uh, uh, just sharing this really close moment with each other. And some men will say, well, that's odd. That seems so strange and so weak. And yet I know that uh, I've seen and I've heard about stories where men who have gone to war together weep and hug, and there's a bond that they have that uh, is like no other. You, you can't describe it. 
And you say this is that they 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 would give their life for their and many of them did, you know. And so there's that that bond, you know, in Acts chapter 20, Paul comes and he stops to visit the elders of Ephesus, the church of Ephesus. And he basically says, I'm going to go into my death. Ultimately, it was ultimately he was that was the the end of Paul. But they began to weep and they began to cry and they began to hug uh, each other. There was that close bond. So they share their deepest feelings. Secondly, they share common, the common, the mundane part of life. Um, they, they don't expect you to get dressed up. They don't expect you to put on a show. They, they, don't, they, they know who you are. So you can walk around in clogs and they don't care. But for a guy, that's kind of odd. All right. Sorry. That's me. Don't, just strike that. Um, you, must, you need to be yourself, and it takes time to, to build that. Uh, number three, they let you help them with major decisions. Um, you, know, you know, a friend is a person, uh, this, this is the kind of person that you, when you're going to make a, an important decision, you say, I've got to hear what John or Mary or Frank, or, uh, I have to hear what they have to say. I want to I know what they think. I, I want to hear their heart because they, they know me, they get me, and, and I, will, I don't want to take a step unless I hear from them. Do you have somebody like that? The Bible says iron sharpens iron. And we need to have other people in our lives that, that, that can speak into our lives, that know us, that get us, and, and can say, hey, whoa, 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 what are you doing here? Well, what's going on? Uh, number four, and, and this, I don't have this verse in your, in your notes, but in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13, I want to read a verse. You must warn each other every day while it is still today so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. Now, here's an interesting thing. Um, Every one of us, whether you know it or not, has a blind spot. You have an area of your life that you just, it's your downfall, it's your weakness, it's your nemesis. It's the part of it is, um, it's not good. And it doesn't pull you towards God, it pulls you away from God. And here's the other part of it. You don't see it. It could be pride, it could be envy, it could be anger. You don't see it though. You don't see it. But a friend, a close friend, sees that. They can see it. It, Like if you have food on your, your mouth when you're eating, and you can't see it, and you're talking away, and you ever been like that? A good friend will say, hey, right, right there. You don't see it, you don't feel it, but it's right there, and it's driving me crazy. Wipe it off, right? That, that's what a friend does. A friend can see your blind spot and tell you about it. But they have to be able to speak into your life and tell you, and you have to say, you're right, you're right. That's what we need. You must have people, you must have friends that can uh, call out the sin in your life because you can't see it. You're deceived by it. Your sins, uh, the, the sins that mess you up the most are invisible to you, but not to your good friends. So there's this openness and vulnerability. And then number three, there's a common connection. <clears throat> Jonathan says this in verse 42 of chapter 20. And last, Jonathan said to David, Go in peace. For we have sworn loyalty to each other in the Lord's name. The Lord is the witness of a bond between us and our children forever. Then David left. Jonathan returned to the town. It was probably the last time that Jonathan ever saw David. Probably. 
And there's a couple of commonalities that they had. They had a common passion. Uh, C.S. Lewis in his book, The Four Loves, said, Friendship is born at the moment when one man says to another, What, you two? I thought no one but myself. In other words, you, you have this common interest, this common bond, this, and you say, I didn't know anyone else thought like that. I, I, I never met anybody that... And so all of a sudden you have this common bond, this friendship, this... And, 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 and I think there's something deeper going on with Jonathan and David. There's this an eternal bond. You know, there's an interesting thing that happens, and you, you, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you know what I'm talking about. You could be in a new town, you could be in a different country. And, and all of a sudden, you're, you're talking with somebody, and they, talk, they begin to talk about their faith in God and faith in Jesus Christ. And automatically, you begin to understand there's this common bond. There's this common sharing. There's this connection that you have with that person. It's hard to describe. But you, 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 they're, they're talking your language. You're hearing their, you know, and you say, you too, you too, Right? And, and, and that's kind of what we're talking about. There's this common bond. It's not always around Christ, obviously, but, but, but it sometimes begins. But the essence of friendship is you both share key areas of interest. Uh, you get them and they get you. You think alike. You don't necessarily agree on everything, but you understand each other. C.S. Lewis goes on to say, those who have nothing to share, share nothing. And friends share with each other. They share their lives. They share what they have. They, they, they serve one another. There's a common sharing and serving. So, I want to talk about three friendships that every one of us needs. Three kinds of friendships that we all need. Um, and maybe you've never thought about this. Maybe this is a new thought for you. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's, yeah, duh, I, you know. Okay, well, some of us are not there, so give us a little grace. But to me, there's three friendships that you ought to have in your life. You need to have a mentor or a Yoda, uh, somebody who you look up to, somebody who is further down the road. Maybe they're older than you, not necessarily. Maybe they're wiser. They're, 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 they, but you look up to them. You respect them. They're, they're, you would go to them and... And it's an 80-20 relationship. You're sitting there taking in what they're sharing. You're like, you're contributing 20%. They're contributing 80. And you you walk away encouraged, refreshed. Uh, They help you to see things from a different perspective. They give you great advice. You may not always take it. But you have somebody that you can, you can, a mentor, somebody you can look up to, right? That's number one. Number two, you need to have a peer-to-peer relationship. And these are, these are friendships that you have with people where it's iron sharpens iron. That you're kind of like on the same, you know, plane together. You're working, to get, you know, working together and you're, you're you, know, you know, rubbing elbows and connecting arms with. And, you know, they can talk into your life and you can talk into your life. And you're kind of like all kind of on the same, you know, you're moving along at the same level, right? And we need people like that. We all need people who are peer-to-peer um, they're healthy. Uh, it's that iron sharpens iron. And then the third relationship we all need is we all need a student-protege relationship where we're reaching down and we're saying, there's, there's somebody here that I can, uh, I can help, I can lift up, I can encourage, I can 
help them become a better person. I can connect with them because I get them because that maybe that was me. And I can help them uh I can help them not pay the stupid tax. You know what the stupid tax is? Proverbs has a lot to say about the stupid tax. The stupid tax is this. When somebody wise tells you don't do this and you you trust them and you don't do it. Like when your parents, the, the earliest example of the stupid tax is when your parents say, don't touch that burner, it's hot. Now, you can pay the stupid tax and touch the burner and you'll learn the lesson they told you. Or you don't have to pay the stupid tax and not touch the burner, right? And so in many ways, uh, you can reach down and say, hey, this is where I got burned. Don't do that. Don't go there. Don't let that happen. And so you need to have somebody. And the Bible's full of that. If you read through Titus and Timothy, it talks about the older women teaching the younger women. It talks about the older men teaching the younger men. It's about passing on, you know, the values and and. and and helping. Now, again, that's a special kind of relationship, but uh, those are three relationships reaching up, reaching uh, alongside, and reaching down. Well, how do we become, and this is where I want to close, how do we become the kind of friend that, that God wants us to be? How do we become the kind of friend that God wants us to be? Uh, Jonathan was a life changing, life giving friend to David, right? Um, he, took the friend, he took his friendship with David to an amazing level. He took off. You know, the interesting thing is, you know, he took off his robe. You know what, you know what, he, you know what he meant when he, when he was taking his robe off? Um, that had a significance. What he was saying to David was, I give up my right to the throne. Now, Dave, uh, Jonathan is the king's son. The, the throne would naturally come to Jonathan. And Jonathan is saying, you know, and, and you, as you read through the passage, you understand, you know, you read through the rest of it, you understand what's going on there, that Jonathan understands the hand of God is on David. Not on him. It's, but he, you know, he could have fought that, but he doesn't. He takes off his robe and he basically says, David, the throne is yours. The throne is yours. Now, Saul wanted the throne to go not to David, but to his son, Jonathan. In fact, he kind of chides him about that. Not only that, he takes off his sword and he gives his sword to David. Uh, which basically says, not only am I going to give you my, my throne, but I give you my, th- my sword because I am going to serve you. I'm going to serve you. Because Jonathan was a covenantal friend to David, what did it get him? He died. He died. (laughs) He could have sided with his father against David, and uh, David would have been killed, and Jonathan would have been, you know, the next king. Jonathan could have sided with David and, and abandoned his... By the way... Saul was an absolute madman. He was crazy. He was nuts. David would be playing his harp to calm him. And the next thing you know, Saul's throwing a sword at him, trying to kill him. I mean, this, this is the guy we're talking about. This is, not a, uh, this is not a healthy man. This is a crazy man. And so, you know, so here's the, 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 the balancing act that Jonathan had. He had to try to honor his crazy father and his good friend at the same time. And he did. And it cost him his life. Yeah. Right? Because that's what happened. He was a good friend both to his father and to David, and it cost his life. David was changed. He was saved. He was released to become the king of Israel. Because of the wounds of Jonathan, 
Jonathan died so that David could rule, be saved. So where do you get the power to be this kind of friend? I could stop here and say, well, that's it. Let's stand and pray. But you know what? The bottom line is, I don't want you to leave and say, oh, let's go be Jonathan's. Because that's not good enough. Because that's just, it's like Avis. Try harder. Be better. There's more to it than that. Because we have a resource that Jonathan didn't have. We have knowledge that Jonathan didn't have. And Jesus said to his disciples in the upper room, before he went to the cross, this is what he said. John chapter 15, verse 13. There's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. And Jesus is saying to his disciples and to us, I have a covenant relationship with you. So much so that I'm going to give my life for you. I'm getting nothing out of this. I'm God. (laughs) I'm getting nothing. And Jesus came into our world to be our ultimate friend. He got off of his throne. He took off his robe. He set down his sword. And he gave his life so that we could be saved from our sins. He remained both loyal to God's love and God's holiness and stood in the middle of it and took the judgment that we deserved so that we could receive the love of God. He jumped the gap for us. So he is the ultimate example of the friend that we desperately need to have. He's, David was changed. He was saved. He was released to be the king um, of Israel because of the wounds of Jonathan. How much more will we be saved when we place our trust in the greatest front friend ever, the lover of our souls, the one who says, I love you this much? Someone has said, friends, uh, friends always let you in and never let you down. They always let you in and they never let you down. And Jesus is the ultimate example who says, I will let you in and I will never let you down. How open was Jesus to us? Well, he opened his arms in his death and he said, I love you this much. He held nothing back. When all of his friends were betraying him, he chose to die for them still. He took hell for them. See, here's the principle. When you see Jesus as your greatest friend, it will transform you as a friend. When you see Jesus, now how does that happen? Let me give you one area and then we'll close with this. This is how it will transform you. When you see that he got off of his throne and took off his robe and set down his sword and climbed up on a cross and took the punishment that you deserve. And he did this and he got nothing from this. He gave up everything for you. He became the greatest friend. Greater love has no one than this. They would lay down their life for their friends. When you see him, when you see that he did it because he loved you, that he knows every dark and dirty thing that you've ever thought or ever done, and he says, and I still love you, and I provided a way for you to find cleansing and forgiveness and freedom. And, and so that you can have life forever, so that we can have life together. When the most important person in the world, in the universe, says to you, I know everything about you, and I still am covenantally committed to you, so much so that I'll give my life. You can't hide anything from him. He knows everything. He's seen everything. So what I'm saying is if the most important person in the universe already knows everything about you, good and bad, and he still loves you and accepts you, 
And it doesn't matter what other people think. So we can go into relationships and we can be transparent. We don't have to put on a show. We don't have to put on veneer. We don't have to put, put up walls. Because we know that we're loved. We know we're accepted. We know we're forgiven. And we, when we walk in that and we look to the cross and we remember His incredible sacrifice for us, we say, now I know what a friend is and I know what a friend does. And I can be that person because I'm already loved and accepted by the greatest friend that anyone could ever have. See, this is where the gospel power can be released in all your relationships. As it's released in you. The best part of David and Jonathan's friendship is it's eternal. And I believe that's what Jonathan was getting at. David, this friendship isn't going to end because one of us dies. It's an eternal friendship. And in Christ, your friendship will last forever. In Christ, friendships are endless possibilities. Here's the final thing I want you to see. Friendships in Christ last forever. Naturalism says you live and you die and you rot. Basically, you live your life and you die. And then every friendship, every relationship is forgotten. It's done. It's gone. And when that friend dies, it's gone forever. There's no memory even of it. Spiritualism is the opposite. It's basically you live and you die and you recycle. But recycling means that you're wiped. Your, your, your mind, your, your memories, your, your experiences are all wiped clean and you start over again. Christianity is the only one that says you live, you die, and then you really live and you remember. And all those relationships continue on. And they are healthier. And they grow stronger and better for eternity. Which one makes, gives you the most hope, the most joy, makes you smile? Because some of you lost good friends. You say, will they remember me? Will I remember them? And the Bible says, in Christ, friendships last forever. So may God help us to learn from the example of the greatest friend ever and become the friend that we need to be and to separate ourselves from those toxic relationships that are pulling us away from the friend that we ought to be. Would you stand with me and let's pray. And Father, this is not something we can do by ourselves and without your power, without your Holy Spirit, we can't do this. But thank you so much for your grace and the gospel power that helps us to understand that we are loved, that we have been befriended by the greatest friend ever. And he didn't just say, hey, I want to be your friend. He became our friend. He gave us what we desperately needed, forgiveness and freedom and life forever. Thank you that Jesus took off of his robe, laid down his sword, climbed upon a cross, and gave his life for his friends. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.